Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew, the 16th chapter. And I just want to bring attention to a couple of thoughts, a couple of themes there. Last um, session together, we asked the question, who are you? And we went through the Word of God, and we went through the alphabet, and we determined who we are in Christ. David said, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. We learned last week that not only do you have a, a fingerprint unlike anyone else, you also have a tongue print unlike anyone else. So next time they tell you to put your finger down on the fingerprint thing, stick your tongue on there to see what kind of response that you uh, see what kind of response that you get. But uh, the Lord is kind of just chilling with the disciples and they're kind of hanging out, just one of those long days of healing and miracles and feeding the multitude and just they were spent, uh, they were resting, they were recovering. And uh, while they were all seated, or however, however they were situated, Jesus asked the question. And he asked the question that says, Whom do men say that I am? Last week we talked about whom do men say I am? Who are you in Christ? And what you are in Christ and what you can become in Christ. But this week I want to flip it. And I want to ask the question that Jesus is asking his disciples, whom do men say that I am? And as the disciples begin to reflect on the rumors and on the stories and the testimonies and the different ones that had commented, they begin to share with Jesus. Well, some say you're John the Baptist. John the Baptist had been murdered, had been beheaded, and some thought that he was John the Baptist reincarnated. And some said that you are Elijah because the book of Malachi, the last book of the Bible, said that a prophet would come in the spirit of Elijah and he would change the world. Some say that you're this one. Some say that you're that one. And they compared him to great people that had lived and had died and they knew what they were talking about. And then Jesus made it personal. And he said, okay, whom do you say that I am? We know what everybody else has said about me, but what do you say about me? And Peter the fisherman, rough, uncouth, just a little punk uh, in, the, in the word, a lot of fun with Peter, cut the guy's ear off, couldn't even cut his head off, couldn't even walk on water correctly. I mean, uh, poor Peter, uh, you know, just, just one of those guys that just seemed like everything he did, it was wrong, but God loved him and used him anyway. But Peter said, thou art the Christ the son of a living God. And Jesus said, Peter, flesh and blood, the physical. You didn't learn this in the physical realm. You learned this in the spiritual realm. And Jesus changed his name from Cephas to Peter, which Peter means a part of the rock or a piece of the rock. That's what the word Petra, if you've ever been. How many, how many have ever been to Chris and Susan been to Petra? I think they have. I've been. Have you been? Yeah, it's an, incredible, it's an incredible place, but it means the place of the rock. Petra means rock. And Jesus looked at him and said, Thou art Peter, and upon this revelation, I am the Christ, I will build the church. And so he named him a rock and a part of the rock. And we know that Jesus is that, that rock, the stone that the builder rejected that we learn about in the book of Proverbs and the book of Ecclesiastic. But as he was just visiting and they begin to declare, You are the Christ, the Son of living God, Something happens when you tune in spiritually to who God is. 
it changes the it changes the frequency it changes the channel it changes the dimension and when you acknowledge who Christ is to you Christ immediately changes your name into something positive and something healthy before I acknowledge what Christ was in my life I was labeled a drug addict I was labeled an alcoholic I was labeled all the things that that were attached to me because of my past and because of the things that I messed with and played around with I had the world's label I had the world's title but that Sunday night when I knelt at that altar and asked him to come into my heart there was a change in me the song says don't look for me to be in the place I used to be there's been a change in me I found a better way and since I found the church and found a place to pray don't look for me to be in the place I used to be I found a better way and that's what that's what's happened to us spiritually in the natural we made a de declaration that Jesus is the Lord of our life and the Savior of our soul and the hope for mankind and when we acknowledge that then God changes our persona changes our past and begins to focus on our future and he walks with us every day so that we can become all God wants us to be we, we learn that we start as a baby desire sincere milk of the word then as we mature we fall in love with the Word of God and begin to sort out the Word of God and see what the Word of God has to say about us. But there definitely is a change. When you encounter Christ, there's going to be a change in your life. He's going to change you. As the whole world literally is now focused on the nativity, uh, the stores have all Christmas songs blow, blaring and blowing and, and going. And this is one of the best times of the year because even the most godless people will be, have an opportunity here anointed, music like joy to the world the Lord has come let earth receive her king let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing it's tough to talk about the the, 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 the birth of Christ without focusing on the death of Christ and we see there was a journey there was a purpose there was something that God had for Jesus that worked out and blessed us and I don't want to mess with your nativity scene today, but I'm going to mess with your nativity scene today, Jerry. The wise men were probably from China, China, Asia, Far East. The Bible says they were the Magi from the East. And when they saw the star, they were in China. We know the star shone the night that he was born. We know that angels sang glory to God. We know the shepherds begin to praise, begin to worship. But on that night, 2,000 miles away, the Magi saw the star, realized the star had been prophesied in the book of Micah, that out of Bethlehem a star would shine. And so they knew the word of God. They knew the writings of old. They knew the, 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 the Arabic, that translation. And they knew that the Bible prophesied that there would be a star the night the king was birthed. And so they pursued and headed out in the direction that they saw the star. But the star only shone for one night. So they began a journey. And the journey probably took them about two years to get to the house of Mary and Joseph. Again, I don't want to mess with your nativity. And we say there were three kings. And the reason we say there were three kings because they had three different gifts that they brought. And as they pursued the star and the star disappeared... They found their way into Herod's castle. Herod was the king of Israel, 
And when they got to Herod's castle, they begin to question Herod and his staff, where is the child born? Where, where did it take place? And of course, Herod, very jealous, and you gotta realize this is a monarchy that killed their cousin, killed their mom, killed their brother. They didn't want anybody to reign but them. So any, anyone that qualified to be king, they murdered them. This is the type of mindset that this king had. And when the Magi told him that the king of Israel would be born in Bethlehem, he got jealous and he sent a, tri he sent a petition of soldiers to Bethlehem. And you remember the story, they killed every child two years and younger because that's probably how, how long it took the Magi. It probably took them two years to get to the house of Jesus, and we don't know how they actually found the house or actually found the place, but they found it. And when they found Jesus, they brought three gifts. They brought gold, they brought frankincense, and they brought myrrh. Uh, this morning I've asked Pastor Todd to help me with this illustration, and let's see if he can bring all three gifts. Hey, see, we only need one king. We didn't really need three kings. They brought the gold, they brought the frankincense, and they brought the myrrh. I just want to show you how practical the kingdom of God is. Again, we say there were three kings. We're not sure how many there were. We assume they traveled by camel. It took them two years ago, 2,000 miles. They were very serious about what they were doing. Hello. They had, they had their mind made up. They said, we're going to find the Christ. We're going to find the Son of God. And one of the kings brought a gift of gold. And as you look at gold, we know that gold today is, is how we measure our, our monetary system. And we know that gold is very expensive. But one king brought gold. And the reason he brought the gold, because gold in that day was a gift given to a king. When the queen of Sheba came to visit Solomon, she brought solid gold pieces, solid 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 gold to, to, to add to his wealth. And we know that was a gift. If you went before a king, you tried to have a piece or a portion of gold. We know also they brought the frankincense. And we know the frankincense was more of a liquid, but frankincense was the liquid that was offered before God. If you went to the altar of a God, you would bring a gift of frankincense and you would pour the frankincense out so that the altar altar area would smell like frankincense so the reason they brought the frankincense because it was a gift given to a god the the myrrh was a little different the myrrh was more of a potpourri type that when it's placed in the flames it gave out a particular odor or, or, or savor and myrrh was given at the time of death when someone died they brought myrrh and when they wrapped the body the bible says they wrapped the body with oil and spices that spice would have been myrrh and what that did was it kind of limited or hindered the smell or the stench of death and that was the purpose of the myrrh so when we look at the three gifts if there were three kings we know that they brought the gold because he is the son he is the king of kings hello they brought the myrrh because he is the king of kings the frankincense king of kings and the myrrh because he was the sacrificial lamb how crazy is that? Now, let me show you the practical side of God. When the wise men came to that home of Jesus, obviously it became talked about. Everybody began to spread it. Everyone talked about it. And somehow Herod heard about it. And you know the story. He sent the soldiers to kill the babies. So Mary and Joseph, being warned of God at, 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 by a dream, 
God warned Joseph, get the baby, get the wife, and leave. So Mary and Joseph left their friends, they left their home, they left their job, they left their resources, they left their income, they left their culture, they left everything they had, and in the middle of the night, they fled to Egypt. Most Bible scholars believe that they were in Egypt for six to eight years. Herod will die. A new Herod will reign that did not know Jesus or not know the story about Jesus. And so they will move back home. But for that six to eight years, however long they were in Egypt, how did they survive? They took the gold, they took the frankincense, and they took the myrrh, and they sold it, and that's how they survived. So that's the practical side of God. There's a spiritual side of God. There's a significance for the reason of the three gifts. But the practical side, it financed Jesus because he had to leave Jerusalem. He had to leave Israel and go into Egypt. How cool is that? I reflect today that we are wise. I reflect today that we are anointed. And I reflect today that we are spiritual. And I reflect today, it is our desire to bring gifts to the king so the kingdom of God can be financed and can be supported. When I got to thinking about the three gifts, I, I got to thinking about the three attributes that each one of us are required, we are accountable for when we stand before God. And the first attribute I wrote down was time. God doesn't ask a whole lot of our time. He gives us 24 hours a day to enjoy life, to work, to enjoy the family. But Jesus asked his disciples, could you just give me one hour? Could you just give me, you know, we give Fox News one hour. We give Blue Bloods and the good doctor one hour. Well, 45 minutes can you take out the commercials. You know, we will do something we like to do for an hour. We'll go hit a round of golf or hit the racquetball or go to the karaoke, what do we do? We don't think anything at all about giving our car an hour, washing it and doing the wheels, doing the tires and making it look nice. And Jesus said, listen, in all that you're doing, in your day that I've given you, all the stuff that you do and you enjoy doing, can you just give me an hour? There are a lot of Christians that give God an hour on Sunday. And that's the only time they ever reflect. That's the only time they ever think. That's the only time they ever focus. But I believe God wants more than a Wednesday night, Sunday morning relationship. The Bible says that every day, look at someone say every day. Every day. Jerry didn't say it. Every day. In the cool, in the cool, I see it. You guys know I see everything, don't you? When you're sound booth doing your phone, I see all that too. Just kidding. Every, 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 some say, oh, no, I got my Bible. No, that's not Bible. That's trivia you're playing there. Every Every day, in the cool of the evening, God took an hour and walked with Adam and Eve and fellowship with them all in every single day. He looked forward to it. He waited for it. He was anxious for it. Matter of fact, he was looking for them the day that they had sinned. He said, where are you? I can't find you. I'm looking for you to spend that quality time with me. Of course, you know the story of sin had interrupted their, their relationship with God. And for that, Jesus died to pay for the sins of mankind. We understand all that. But all God wants from you is for you to give him a portion of your day. I, Sid Lowe Baxter said, I rarely pray an hour a day, but there's never an hour goes by that I don't pray. You keep your mind hopefully focused on the things of God, uh, thanksgiving the things of God. I have this past week 
past couple of weeks, I've been trying uh, more and more to be thankful, to say thankful, to think thankful. And there's a couple of silly things that happened this week, like I found my wallet. I mean, I was very, very thankful that I found my wallet. Uh, I barely missed a car pulling into Exxon gas station. I, so, so all of a sudden, I've been finding myself thanking God for every, listen, if his eyes on the sparrow, then he cares whether I whack somebody at Exxon. If his eyes on the sparrow, he cares about everything that I'm going through. Comb my hair today. I didn't see any hair on the brush, but I'm sure a couple have fallen out. Alden, I'm sure several of yours have fallen out. But did you know that every hair that falls from your head, what the songs say, every step you take, every move you make, I'll be watching you. I know that's not a Christian song, but it's God saying, I'll be watching you. And he's thinking about us, and he will do little things that, that, uh, that will bring us to remembrance. And uh, this week on Facebook, there are certain things in my life I can't do without crying. I just, I just can't do it. It's just God. And when my daughters posted one of my favorite songs, I just had a good cry. Because as, as I was listening, I actually sang along, so I can say that I have sung along with Christine, but... I was by myself, but nobody was around. When I think about the Lord, there are things you can't do without crying because he rescued me. He bought me. He saved me. He lifted me up. He put a smile, a song. He put a purpose in my life. And when I think about all that he's done for me, it just gets exciting, gets overwhelming, and you realize that when God gave us Jesus, we're looking at all these packages and all these uh, presents under the tree. But when God gave us Jesus, John 3, 16, the most powerful statement ever made in the history of the world, for God so loved the world, that he gave. So it's God that gave his son on a tree. That's why we have a tree. That's why we have angels on it. That's why we have lights on it, bulbs on it, in reflection to the cross. When God gave us Jesus, he gave us all that he was. Let that sink in just for a moment. So when you ask, who do men say that I am, and we begin to declare what people say that he is, but it goes a little farther, and he asks you, well, who do you, who do you say that I am? And when you go through the word of God, you find so many things that God is, that God has translated, and God has given you. Does that excite anybody in the house today? He requires your time. It requires your talent. This week, we've seen all kinds of talent, decorating, singing, dancing. God has given everybody in this house a measure of faith, something that you can do for the kingdom. He said, I want you focused on the widow. I want you focused on the orphan. I want you focused on those in jail. That's pretty much the things we focus on with our talent that God has given us, that we can be a blessing or we can touch somebody's life. We can touch a single mom. We can touch some kids. We can touch somebody. God created us to touch somebody, and he gave us that personality. He gave us that charisma. He gave us that favor. He gives us that laughter so that we could share it with somebody else. So God requires our time. He requires our talent, and he requires our tithe. Tithe is not a suggestion. It's a command. It's how God finances the kingdom, that the church, church survives based upon the tithe of the saints. And one day I'm going to stand before God, and I'm going to give account for everything I've done, everything I've said, but more importantly, I'm going to give account for everything I've spent. And I'm going to stand before God. And I hope, Kelly, that I say, wow, 
I gave all of that in my 70, 80 years on life. I sold that much. I don't want to be the person that says, eh, should have done more, should have, could have, would have, didn't, should have done more. Because one day I am going to hear him say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. And then I'm going to say, what good did I do? He said, you touched the widow, you touched the orphan, you touched the jail, you touched the ministry. And I want to go to bed at night with a clean conscience knowing I've done everything God's called me to do so God can do everything that he's called to do for me. What does that mean? Well, when you ask who am I or whom do men say that I am, as you go through the word of God, you see the word says a whole lot of things about God. Are you ready? In Psalm 103 and 3, it says that he is your healer. In Isaiah 59 and 20, it says he is your redeemer. In Psalm 70, verse 5, it says he is your deliverer. In Psalms 43 and 2, it says he is your strength. In Joel 3 and 6, he is your shelter. In John 15 and 15, it says he's the friend that sticketh closer than a brother. In 1 John 2 and 1, he is your advocate. In Isaiah 9 and 6, he is your everlasting father. In Psalms 23 and 3, he is a restoration of your soul. Aren't you glad this morning that we can be restored by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ? In Isaiah 9 and 6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Everlasting Father, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. Aren't you glad that he is your everlasting Father? In 1 John 4 and 16, he is love. In 1 Timothy 2 and 5, he is your mediator. In, in Habakkuk 1 and 7, he is your stronghold. In John 6 and 33, he's the bread of life. In Psalm 32 and 17, he is my hiding place. Aren't you glad that he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide in the shadow of the Most, um, the most High? Isaiah 16 and, 16 and 20, he's everlasting life. Are, are you bored or should I go on? Jeremiah 15 and 16, he's our resting place. In John 16 and 13, he's the spirit of truth. In Isaiah 22 and 4, he is the refuge from the storm. Aren't you glad this morning when the storm rages, the lightning flashes, the thunder crashes, that he is God and he has a place to hide us, that the storm cannot hurt us? When you think about the storm, he walks on the water and rides in the waves of the wind. In 1 John 5 and 20, he is eternal life. In Genesis 22 and 14, he is the Lord who provides. Aren't you glad that he is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord that provides our need? In John 4 and 10, he is the living water. He takes that water, turns it to wine, refreshes you and blesses you and gives you joy. In Psalm 144 and 2, he is my shield. Aren't you glad that no weapon formed against me can prosper? Every fiery dart the enemy throws against me, I hold up my shield of faith and I overcome by the blood of the Lamb. In Isaiah 54 and 5, for every lady in this house, he is your husband, and he's a husband that will never cheat on you, never let you down, never abuse you, never say anything hurtful, but he will be the friend that sticks close to her brother. In Hebrews 13 and 16, he is my helper. In, in Isaiah 9 and 6, he is the wonderful counselor. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our needs and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry. Say it with me. Everything to God in prayer. And I, in Exodus 15 and 26, he's the Lord who heals us. In Psalm 71 and 15, he is our hope. And in Romans 15 and 15, he is joy unspeakable and full of glory. Who is God? He is all these things to you. And when God gives you Jesus, he gave you all of himself. Oh, give the Lord a hand clap, if you will, in this house.
Thank you, Lord. That was a breathful. When I think. Christine, come and sing it. Come and sing it. Want to drink water first? No, you just do. Just do acapella. Like you did on Facebook. Okay. Y'all can sing it along if you know it. When I think about the Lord, how he saved me, how he raised me, how he filled me with the Holy Ghost, how he filled me to the uttermost. When I think about the Lord, how he picked me up and turned me around, how he placed my feet on solid ground it makes me want to shout hallelujah thank you jesus lord you're worthy of all the glory and all the honor and all the praise it makes me want to shout hallelujah Thank you, Jesus, Lord, you're worthy of all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. Lift our hands. Thank you, Christine. Lift our hands all over the house. You're a good, good God, and we are good, good children. We love you. We listen. We grow. We involve. We, we support the kingdom. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this house. Thank you tonight that some, some, somewhere in the hour and a half program, there will be an invitation given for people to commit their heart to the Lord. Anoint that. Anoint that more than any other part of the, of the, of the, of the banquet tonight. Honor that very moment. Touch hearts that are tender. Draw them to you. Bring them under the blood in Jesus' name. Amen.